If he's been good, and he is good, he's going to be good. Yeah, he's worthy. He's worthy. And uh, I'll sing a lot of sister. Nikki was singing that he's been carrying me every step. Every step. I've never been able to walk without him. Never. Uh, what's another old song? I can't even walk without him holding my hand. Amen. He has carried me all the way. Every, every. I was talking to a friend of mine, excuse me, a friend of mine on the phone this past week. I was telling him that uh, you know, I am what I am by the grace of God. You know, I, I am what I am only because of Jesus. And my brother Wally mentioned, I think, last Sunday night uh, before his song, that I am ashamed of what I haven't done for Jesus. And I, I feel bad for what I can't do for Jesus. But I'm glad for Jesus. Amen. I, I am, I am, I am, I am here, saved, in church, because of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to heaven, sins forgiven, because of Jesus. Amen. I have no confidence in my flesh at all. None. I agree with the Apostle Paul that in my flesh is no good thing. Amen. But thank God for the gift of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right, let's turn to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 21. Matthew chapter number 21. This is Palm Sunday. We are entering into the Passion Week of our Lord. His, he spends a week at Jerusalem um, ministering. He is, uh, he is facing accusations. He is ultimately, of course, he is, he is of course, rejected and condemned to die, crucified, buried, and praise the Lord, arose from the dead, uh, victorious. And this being Palm Sunday, I'll be honest with you, in the past, and I still am that way a little bit, I think, I, uh, I like holidays. Sometimes I feel like, you know, well, we got we to gotta do this because it's a holiday, you know. Um, but I, I've learned through the years, like today being Palm Sunday, it's on our mind. And it's a good opportunity to, uh, to really, since we're all thinking about Palm Sunday, it's, an, it's a gospel opportunity. I've learned that. It's a gospel opportunity to take what's on our minds and, and, and show Christ in it. It's, it's an opportunity to glorify Him on this day. And so I'm glad to preach about Palm Sunday because it's an opportunity, amen, for us to see a little bit or to learn a little bit or for our eyes to be open that we haven't seen something before. Matthew 21, if you're there, say amen. Verse number 1. The Bible says, And when they drew nigh to Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her, loose them, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. And all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell you the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king, thy king, cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt, the fowl of an ass." And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. 
and brought the ass and the colt and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed, so they're surrounding our Lord, cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was come into into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for this hour. Lord, we are so grateful for what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in many lives here. And Lord, we praise you and worship you, Jesus. You are the head of this church. You are the king of kings. You are co-equal. You are co-eternal, the Son of God. And Lord, we praise you and worship you and thank you. You are the Son of God. And Lord, I pray today that you'd be glorified, your name would be lifted up, and Lord, that you would do a work here, and Lord, you'd build up your kingdom among us, and you'd change hearts and open eyes and ears so we can receive the gospel we can believe on you, and Lord, that we could lay hold on everlasting life. We love you, worship you, praise you. In your name, Jesus, Lord, we ask these things. Amen. Palm Sunday is a good time to reflect on our personal faith. Here in this passage, we see, obviously, a great multitude that is following Jesus, crying out to Jesus, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed, verse 9, is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Palm Sunday is a good day to reflect on your personal faith. It's a good opportunity for you to think that as a professing Christian, am I truly following Jesus? Because we're going to get into this further in just a moment, but here in this, this exciting account, that's taking place in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, that looks here can be deceiving. It seems that everybody is receiving Christ as their Messiah here, but it's, it's not the case. There's a lot of um, corporate faith here. It's something shared by members of the same group. That's what corporate means. There's a lot of people here in the crowd, they're just caught up in the crowd. And they are just saying what everybody else is saying. You could think of it as peer pressure. It's kind of sad, really, because it it seems like they're really receiving Jesus as their personal Messiah. Now, they're receiving their view of the Messiah, but they're not receiving God's Messiah that he sent to them to deliver them. They have a corporate faith. It's it's really an example of groupthink. Now, groupthink... Groupthink is the practice of thinking or making decisions as a group in a way that discourages individual responsibility. And what they're doing is that they're just deciding what everybody else is deciding, a lot of them. It's a mixed crowd, but a lot of them are just saying it and reacting because everybody else is doing the same thing. Now, there's obviously here, we know this, that there are some in the crowd that they really have a personal relationship with Jesus. Theirs is personal faith. And today, that's probably true for this crowd. Now, I've, I've been in the ministry long enough to know this, that I am preaching to a mixed crowd today. 
that there are some of you here today that have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. There are some of you here today that have a, what, what I would describe as a corporate relationship with Jesus. That you're just following the crowd, even this crowd. Some of you here today, you have no relationship with Jesus at all. You've never been born again. You've never been saved. You've never received Christ as your Savior. And I, I want to give you that opportunity even right now. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Amen? You shall be saved. You can trust in Him. He says, come unto me, He says, all you that weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He says in the book of Revelation, whosoever will, let them come. And you come to Jesus today. Now you've came here, but that's not far enough, is it? You need to come to Jesus Christ. You've come to a place. And I want to encourage you to go to a person and to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior. Now I'm glad to tell you that you can because He lives as you sung and heard today. He is a living Savior. And you can trust in not a dead Savior, for that wouldn't be very trustworthy, would it? You can believe not in a, not in a dead Savior. We would trust and believe in a dead Savior. You know, you, I'm inviting you, and the Spirit is inviting you, and the church is inviting you to trust in the living, eternal Son of God. He is the only way, and in Him you'll have life, and you'll have life everlasting. Amen? But just the same in this crowd, in this crowd today, it is a mixed crowd. There are people who are crying Hosanna, but their Hosanna means completely two different things. There are people who are agreeing with what's going on even here, but the object of their, of their faith is misplaced. So what we have in this triumphal entry really is an example of that. It is an example of misplaced guided excitement for Jesus. Their excitement for Him is misplaced. They are excited about what's happening, but they're not really excited about what He's doing. They're excited about what is coming down the road, but they're not excited for what God really has planned for them in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now looks can be deceiving here. If, as we read our text, it looks like Wow, they finally come to their senses, don't it? It looks like that Jerusalem is receiving the Messiah. That's what it really looks like, don't it? If you were there that day, you would say, finally, 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 finally now we have our Messiah. He will now, he will now be established as the ruler of Jerusalem. But looks can be deceiving. Because in verse number 12, right when Jesus gets to Jerusalem in the temple, he overthrows the tables full of money, don't he? He overthrew the tables of the money changers and, and the seats of them that sold doves. I bet the excitement was like, wait a minute, what are you doing? <laughs> you don't want to turn these people against you, Jesus. They just said, Hosanna, they received you, and right when you get here, you're turning over their apple cart. In, verse, in chapter through 21 and 23, we see that Jesus is, is slowly being rejected. In, in chapter number 21, verse 18 and 19, remember Jesus in this account the next morning after, after the triumphal entry, 
He's returned to the city, he's hungry, verse 19, he saw a fig tree in the way, and he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only. And said unto it, let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever, and presently the fig tree withered away. Now, here the fig tree is representative, as it often is in Scripture, of the nation Israel. So Jesus, it's, it's a metaphor, it's symbolic. He came to Jerusalem looking for fruit, but he don't find any. He curses it because there is no fruit. And immediately the fig tree, it withers away. In chapter 21, same chapter, verses 42 through 45, Jesus is describing himself as the chief cornerstone. And he's saying this cornerstone, the, buildings, the, the builders rejected. So he's saying, you're trying to build a kingdom without me. And in verse number 43 of chapter 21, Jesus said, Therefore I say unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. So you would think they're receiving Jesus, but, but really they're not coming to Jesus as their rightful biblical Messiah. In chapter number 22, uh, we find the Pharisees, scribes, and lawyers, and Sadducees, they're always trying to catch Jesus in his words. They're, they're quizzing him, trying to condemn him publicly. So remember, keep in mind, the crowd is crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus comes, he sees no fruit. Jesus comes and the temple is being misused. The house of God, his house, is being misused. Jesus comes and he says, your, your nation will be taken from you. Your kingdom will be given unto another. You're rejecting me, the chief cornerstone. So you see what's happening here. The Bible is teaching us something. The same crowd that's crying Hosanna, they don't really know what they're saying, do they? They don't really mean what they're saying. It's not what you think it is. You see it now? If you turn to chapter number, chapter number 23, in this chapter, Jesus, the big... the. Pre He's pronouncing woe on the scribes and lawyers and the Pharisees. He says, woe unto them. In that chapter he says, you are like a, a pretty tomb, but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. And Jesus is, he's, he's not meek and mild here at all. He's not at all that whole week. He's turning over tables. He, he's saying, you rejected me. Your kingdom's going to be pulled from you. And then in chapter 23, he's woe unto them, woe unto them. He is... He is in a direct verbal conflict with the rulers, the leaders of Jerusalem. And ultimately, to come to the end of chapter number 23, and all this is the same story, and it's to be received in the same context. Remember, they, they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. But look what Jesus says in the end of chapter number 23. Look at verse 37 through 39. Jesus says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Thou that killest the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. So what is he saying? Look, you all received me, but I can't receive you. You all aren't coming to me. Verse 38, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now look closely at verse 39. For I say unto you, ye shall not see me henceforth. To ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now that statement, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord, we, we just read that in our text. Jesus 
in verse 9 of chapter 21, as Jesus is coming, in verse 9, guess what they say? Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Jesus said, you'll not see me until you say. Wait a minute, they just said it. They said it in chapter 21. They said it, Jesus, a few days ago, didn't they? Jesus said, Jesus said, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. What do we make of this? They said it, they said something they did not mean. That's what we make of it. They said something about Jesus that they confessed with their mouth, but their heart was far from him. Matthew 7, a wonderful segue into that terrible, terrifying statement where Jesus said, Many shall say unto me, Lord, Lord, but Jesus said, I will say unto you, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, for I do not know you. So Jesus said, you all need to say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But they could say, we already said that. You came, we rejoiced. But they did not mean what they said. If you come to Matthew chapter number 27, public opinion of Christ has completely turned. In Matthew number 27, we have the the account of the crucifixion. In verse number 20 of Matthew 27, but the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. And then in verse number 23, and the governor said, why? What evil hath he done? But they cried, the people cried out the more, saying, let him be crucified. Now this is why I think that there's many of the same group that said Hosanna are also of the same group that said crucifying because of what we just discovered in Matthew 23. Jesus said, you said it, but you don't believe it. You've not received it. And now they're saying crucifying, crucifying, crucifying. You see, everybody likes the Jesus in Matthew 21. Everybody likes the Hosanna Jesus, don't they? That Jesus is fun. (laughs) That Jesus is exciting. That Jesus is non-confrontational. That Jesus don't turn over the money tables. He's riding on a little donkey, and the hills are clicking through the streets of Jerusalem. Oh, here he comes. Let's celebrate him. Let's rejoice over that Jesus. That Jesus who wouldn't hurt a fly. The undemanding Jesus. The Jesus that uh, just uh, wants to be received. The Jesus that's celebrated. The Jesus that everybody can get behind, you know. The Jesus that puts little children on his knee. Not the Jesus that turns over the tables in the temple, no. Not the Jesus that says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. You are like whited graves full of dead men's bones. Why don't, you, why don't you clean the inside of the vessel? You care so much about the outside. Why don't you worry about the inside? No, not that Jesus, the Jesus on a little donkey. That's the Jesus we can get behind. That's the Jesus the crowd loves. But when the Jesus who was riding on a donkey, 
begins to say, repent. Or even the woman caught in the act of adultery, people say, oh, he was so kind to her. Amen, he sure was, but let's not forget he did not condemn her because she's already condemned. Jesus came not to condemn the world because the world is already condemned. He came, remember, that the world might have life through believing on his name. She's already condemned. He don't have to condemn her. But Jesus said, don't forget what he told her, but go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. Do you mean, Jesus, you're, you're placing some, some stipulations on my relationship with you? You mean I can't be right with you just by receiving you? Isn't that enough? I mean, I'm saying, come on in. Yeah, come on in. Don't that make me right with you if I applaud you? Don't that make me good with you if I celebrate you? Don't that make me and you good if I celebrate Easter? Don't it make me and you good if I appreciate the Christmas season? Don't it make me and you good, Jesus, if I just like coming to church? I just like being a part of it. I enjoy it. I like the culture. You know, some people get mixed up on really, they think that church culture is like American culture. That if people say, if we can just get our church back, then America will be right. You know, you're trying to receive a Messiah for political reasons, just like they were trying to do. America, for, let's, let's, do a little, let's do a little diversion here. America don't need a politician. America needs a Savior. Say amen. America don't need a political movement. Because whatever man touches, he corrupts absolutely. Haven't you turned to the pages of history? John Mark said, Karl Marx said, I'll make it good. Please. America don't need political leaders. America needs a Messiah that is not to be the head of a political movement, but is to be the ruler of your hearts and the Savior of your soul. What we need is a born-again Christian in the White House. So what does that mean then? Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Then that means Christ then would be in what? He seeks to build up his kingdom in you. He wants to invade your life and your territory and change you, not the political atmosphere or the environment. He wants to deal with you personally. He don't want to deal with us corporately. He don't want to deal with the collective. He don't want, to, he don't want group think. He wants you. You. He wants to deal with you. See, just because you receive Jesus in excitement don't mean you've received Jesus as Lord. Just because you're excited about the whole show don't mean that you know Him as Savior. See, what we're dealing with here really is peer pressure. You have peer pressure in chapter 21, and they're all excited. I think I'll take my jacket off too and put it there. Hey, I know where some trees are. We'll cut some palm leaves off there, some branches, and we'll run ahead. Can't you see the excitement? Can't you see how it just, it's just stirring and spreading and moving? I mean, we haven't had this much fun in a long time. And some would say, boy, we've had a good meeting. We really had a good meeting. And Jesus was there and we had a good meeting. And Jesus came and we really had a good time. It's like a bunch of revival meetings I've been to. They say the Lord was there, but there were no lives changed. 
They said the Lord was there. We had a good time. I mean, we had good singing. The preacher was funny. It was amazing. He had good jokes. He, he, we, he, even, he, had a, he had a beautiful family. I mean, it was great. We had a good time. But where are the fruits of repentance? Where are lives that have changed? Where are surrendered souls? Where are the cross bearers at? We're so, why don't we come to the meeting and, and receive the biblical Messiah and leave with our repentant life laid before Him, crucified on His cross, and let's drag the old rugged cross the rest of our lives because He said, if any man seeks to come after Me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow after Me. But boy, we had a good meeting. Really? Really? <laughs> Jesus was there. I bet He was. And you know, that's another thing that one should take note of. Just because Jesus is near don't mean He's in you. Just because He walked down the aisle and you were excited about it, for whatever, maybe cultural reasons, family reasons. You know, sometimes even some of us, we go to church a long time, and would you agree that in every church's history, there's good years, and there's dry years, and there's exciting years, and there's years where there's a lot of people, then we have funerals, then the church panics, and like, wow, we better get busy about the Great Commission, because we've lost half our members, not to hell, but to the grave, and they're in glory now. And then we have years where we drive it, and we try to grow it, and we try to grow it, and sometimes we associate the goodness of God with good memories that we used to have. But let's, let's quote the most obvious scripture in regards to that. Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. He's the same Jesus in, the, in your past glory days. You know, the good old days that, let's be honest, wasn't that good, were they? You were signed into. You were frustrated into. Admit it. Say, oh, it was amazing. Really? I remember being a little boy here at Westside, and I heard complaining about the church, and I heard, I don't, he, Bunny preached a long one today, I remember that. Say, so, oh, it was, listen, the point is that Jesus can be in our midst, and we miss it. Amen. Or we even see Him, and we recognize Him, and we're excited about Him, and He's turning over the tables of our lives, and he's confronting our hypocrisies. And he's attacking our inconsistencies. And he's looking for fruit and he can't find any. And then over the days are passing, you know, man, I'm not really excited about this Jesus because I liked him when he was riding on a donkey, but he's starting to kind of uh, invade my personal space. He, he's starting to uh, say things that, and I just want to go home after this. I had a good time. I just want to go home and live my life, and he's telling me to repent. I just, I just, I just came to church, and I enjoyed it. They had good singing. You know, I know a lot, a lot, a lot of lost people that love gospel singing. You know, they love it, love it. I remember one time where I used to work, I invited a man to come. We had a singing one night at North Hills Baptist Church, and I, he loved it. He didn't know Jesus. I remember looking over there at him while I was going on, and he was more excited about it than the people I was pretty sure really did know Jesus as their Savior. And that man was jacked up about it. You can love Christian culture and not know Christ. You can. You can go to church and miss Jesus. 
You ever heard the account of Judas? I mean, you would think, surely all them guys know the Lord is the Savior. But you know, one of them is fixing to betray him. One of them is. I can't, help but to, I can't help but to make note of this once more. If you looked that night in the Garden of Gethsemane, and you looked at Peter's life and Judas' life, Judas kissed Jesus, you'd say, oh, he's right with Jesus. And Peter says, I don't know the man. I don't know him. I don't know him. And to prove he didn't know him, he even cursed and said, I don't know this guy at all. And the cock crew, you and the rooster cock crowed, you would think, well, Peter don't know the Lord. And Judas does. He kissed him. Looks can be deceiving, can't they? They can be deceiving. So what we're dealing with here is peer pressure. In verse 21, there's peer pressure to receive Jesus. In verse tw- chapter, excuse me, chapter 21, there's peer pressure to receive Jesus. In chapter 25, there's peer, chapter 27, excuse me, there's peer pressure to reject Jesus. So peer pressure to receiving, peer pressure to rejecting. Both times, they're following the crowd. Both times. In both ways. You know, oftentimes we think, oh, you're just following the crowd, that that's like, you know, what we would call the out-and-out sinful worldly crowd. Like, don't follow the crowd. But chapter 21 teaches us that also we should be warned not to follow the crowd in the crowd that sympathizes, rejoices, and appreciates Jesus. If it's not your personal faith. You see the difference? See, this is, I think again today, this is a mixed crowd of people. And there are people here that follow the crowd and appreciate Jesus. Appreciate the group, appreciate the values, appreciate the the morals maybe, the standards. Appreciate the culture. They're following that crowd. They like it. But is their faith in Jesus personal? That's the question. Because you can follow the church crowd and not be saved. So, So then it's not about following the crowd, is it? It's about following Jesus. You can follow the crowd, both groups. You can follow a worldly crowd and not know Jesus, and you can follow a church crowd and not know Jesus. You could cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, and not know Jesus. You see, now there's a passage that's on my heart this morning, and I marked it in my Bible. 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 19. This is a wonderful book that should be studied in every Christian's life. These, these wonderful tests, like that your joy may be full, that you can know that you know Him, you know? You can know you know Him because you love the brethren. You can know you know Him because you keep His commandments. You can know you know Him because you don't apostatize. You can know you know Him because you don't habitually live in sin. You can know you know Him. In chapter number 2, 1 John, John says this, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all, they were not all of us. They were with us, but they left. It proved they wasn't really of us. There's a lot of people, a lot of young people, listen carefully, young people. If you've made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your profession of faith will be put to the test. 
It'll be, we're we're going to see if that profession of faith is legitimate. We're, you're going to get to see it. Because you could just be saying, Hosanna. Especially young people. I'm real careful about young people coming to Jesus because I know he receives little children, but I can talk any six-year-old in praying a sinner's prayer. I can. But... Are they coming to Jesus? That's the question. So I'm careful about it. I've seen a lot of young people that grow up in church, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now there were people crying Hosanna that really knew Jesus. There's people crying Hosanna that didn't know him at all. There's people who cry Hosanna, like maybe Mary or, or Peter. They knew Jesus. He's their Lord and Savior. But there's also people who cried Hosanna and also a few days later said crucify him. Same people. Same people. It's a mixed crowd. There's a lot of young people that grow up and finally they go maybe to a secular, secular university. They get a job and you know it's the real world. All types of language, all types of temptations, all types of different culture. And we're going to see, it's going to be put to the test. Are you following Jesus or are you just following a crowd? Like maybe your parents or the church or your buddies in the building. You see... And I've seen a lot of people cry Hosanna in my young ministry, and they right now are unchurched. They aren't anywhere today worshiping Jesus, and they still say probably Hosanna, but it makes me wonder, were they really of us? I'm not talking about church membership. I'm talking about a part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, or were they just following a crowd? So are you following a crowd today, or do you really have a personal relationship with Jesus? If the church split today, would you get out of church completely, lose your faith? Or if the church split today, would you say this on your way home? I don't, you know, I hate it. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. Because my faith ain't tied up in a corporate group think. It's in a risen, living Savior. Hosanna. Amen. You all can say crucifying. Is that your attitude? If, if the public opinion around your life changes, the group around you changes, and now you're in a group that says crucify him, will you still say Hosanna when they say crucify him? Or will the peer pressure sway you and in that group, it's a different group, they'll say, yeah, crucify him. Then that's not faith in Jesus Christ. That's not faith. Are you following the crowd the other way? You could follow the crowd, the good, the, the good crowd. There's none to do with good, amen? Or even the crowd the other way, either way. It's not what the crowd thinks about Jesus. It's what do you think about Jesus? What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Who is he to you? That's the question, isn't it? You know, I guarantee you, every one of us would say, if I was there that day in Matthew 21, I'd say, oh, Hosanna. You know what, I want to say this, I know you would. Because everybody else is saying it. I know you would. Go Vols! I ran across people that when Tennessee football beat Alabama, they ain't watched a football game in six years. They say, did you watch that game? I'm like, where you been? <laughs> I've watched every game. Where you been? That's exciting, you know? Where you been at? I was holding Avery, newborn baby, when they threw that bomb over our secondary when Florida beat us, and I thought we had them. I was holding Avery, and I went, in the hospital, newborn baby, holding her upset while I was holding my newborn baby, mad about the, I've been there, I've been there, go Vols, amen, (laughs) 
Everybody was talking about it. Everybody. If every one of us, I'm closing, was in that crowd in Matthew chapter 21, all of us here today would say, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. But what about if he starts saying that marriage is between a man and a woman like he did in, uh, in uh, was it Luke chapter number 19? You're going to say it then? What about when he talks about lustful thoughts in the Sermon on the Mount? Hosanna, then? What about when he says to repent and believe the gospel and don't trust in yourselves? Hosanna? What about when he says forgive your vilest enemy? Hosanna, then? What about when he disrupts your apple cart? Hosanna? Now, all of us would say Hosanna in chapter 21, but what if we got to chapter number 27 and people don't like Jesus no more? And now we're looking at a scourged Christ who's had his beard plucked out and they got a crown of thorns on him and the rulers of your society are running around the crowd like they did in verse number 20 of Matthew 27. It's like, hey, you say Barabbas, pick Barabbas, pick Barabbas, pick Barabbas, trust me, pick Barabbas, pick him. I know then when the public opinion of Jesus has changed, maybe in the new group you're a part of, the new circle you just joined, the college class you're in now, or the new work that you just, new job you started last week. When the group has changed, then what? I know then not all of us would say Hosanna then. Not all of us would say Hosanna. Because unless you've been born again, unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you will be swayed by the peer pressure of those around you. You will be. And that is why, you still with me? This is why, especially our youth, need to be born again and really know Jesus. So when they're in that group that's changed, greater is He that's in them than he that's in the world. Amen? Amen. They'll be like the Apostle Peter and say, you, you judge, you judge, you decide. Should I obey you or, or should I obey the Lord? There's not another name given among men under heaven, among men whereby men must be saved. Amen? When CNN asks you, puts that microphone in front of your face, do you believe that Christianity teaches this? Will you say, Hosanna, Where's my stake for Jesus' sake? Where's the cross that I could, be, I could glorify Him, that I could glorify Him in my life? Or would it be, crucify that guy? Not everybody in the crowd really knew Jesus. Not everybody in the crowd probably really knows Jesus. He's calling you out of the world. He's calling you unto Himself. He wants to be your personal reformation. He don't want to change the atmosphere around you. He wants to save you. He wants to change you. He didn't come to change America. He came to change you. He didn't come to establish a political party. He didn't come to be an earthly king yet. He's come to be your king. 
That wherever you go, then from that point on, you'll be under His authority and His rule and His leadership. And you'll serve your King. And you'll suffer for your King. And even if it come down to it, you would give your life for your King. Say, is that a big... I know them, them young boys who gave their life on the sandy shores of Iwo Jima for their country. It happens. But would you give your life for your king? They gave their life for their country. But Jesus in you, you'd be the same if you know Him. Do you know Him? People say, well, I would die for Jesus. Then I, my question is, if you say that, then why aren't you living for Jesus? If you'll say, I'll die for Jesus, then live for Him then. That's easier. Live for Him. Hosanna, amen. Let's stand to our feet. What are we going to sing, Bryson? Page number 44.